You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Welcome into the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You're joined by thousands of photographers listening to the show. We're all on the same journey to master their photography. I am Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode. I'm joined by Brent Bergherm. Brent, it's been a little bit since we connected. Welcome. Oh, man. Yes. Thank you. Wonderful to be here. Yeah, really glad. So I know you've had a, a ton of stuff going on in your, your personal life with uh, moving and houses yep. that you're procuring and lots going on. Um, I have, I have still two. in the middle of that. Are you? <laughs> we 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 had a delay in our close of the new house. Uh, it's now set for August twenty, which is like, oh, really? Oh wow! But you know, at least it's still active. It's still going. It's just we couldn't get it appraised for some reason. Everyone's on vacation or whatever. It's just like. <laughs> I want to go ring some necks or something, but you know, trying to be patient. It's it's all working out still. Things are looking good. Um, yeah, it's it's just being patient can be hard sometimes. I I think it's kind of important to talk about this stuff occasionally, especially at the tops of our shows, because I think it resonates with most of the listeners. Most of our listeners are people that are they love photography, they love working with photography, but they have other stuff in their lives too, right? That's right. Yeah, and that's that's just what I'm dealing with now is just the other stuff, and uh, it's just gonna be amazing because it's 4.8 acres, wow. and I'm gonna be able to create my own uh, fine art print studio. I've, we've got a 2,800 square foot shop that I'm gonna take about 600 or so square feet and make my own art studio, fine art studio, and photography. YouTubing, podcasting, all sorts of stuff, and just all the other wonderful opportunities this property is going to provide our family is just, we're very much looking forward to it. We envision this to be our forever home where we're going to retire, we're going to grow old there, and we just can't wait to to get that chapter of our lives started. So uh, that's why it's hard to be patient, Yeah, <laughs> but it's going to be amazing. We're going to love it. Yeah, and, I, and I've been uh, really heads down. Uh, people may have noticed I haven't been as engaged in Facebook and other stuff for the last week. It's because I've been super uh, studying super hard to pass a certification exam for something called AWS Web Services Solutions. Our tech can, that most, oh, wow. Most people won't know what that is or anything, but uh, it's a it's a beast of a test. And, and uh, I bet. Yeah, I'm working on it for... Uh, for myself and for promotions at work and, and all that kind of stuff. So sometimes nice. the photography has to take a back seat. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, you know, I keep getting their emails cause I, I have an S3 uh -huh. uh, server or whatever. And it just looks so, there's so many opportunities. It's so amazing. But it's like, no, <laughs> I can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. It, oh. it, there's a lot to it. it. It's a big deal. I probably spent 18 hours a day for the last six days. I, I didn't do anything wow. on Sunday, but yeah, the last six days, 18 hours studying for this test. And Ooh, it's that's a big deal. Dedication. <laughs> it's hard. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, I, I'm pr I, I haven't passed it yet, so we'll see if I can, but I, I think I, I'll be able to in the next couple of weeks. So. Hopefully cool. increasing my Greek geek cred a little bit, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Good. Yep. I'm, I'm excited about it, but let's talk about, let's get into photography because that's why people yeah. listen to the show. Let's, let's. That's why we, we're here. We've done the, the small talk. Now let's get into the, the serious stuff. So <laughs> we have an astronomical event that is happening right now that uh, people may want to give a go. If you've never done astrophotography, you can do it. it. It doesn't matter what camera you've got, as long as it's uh, like an interchangeable lens camera of some type. It's fun to give it a try. And you may massively fail. I've failed at this many times. You may massively fail, but man, is it fun to try and give it a go and, and see if you can make it work. And um, of course, there's a special equipment that you can get involved with this stuff that makes it so you can do really cool things, but you don't have to either. You a tripod and a camera and a lens, and, and we can go on this sort of thing and really give it a try. So there's a, a what is this event? It's something called NeoWise. It's a comet I know, and I, I've seen yep. I've seen it discussed a little bit in the like photography media stuff I follow on Twitter and Facebook and so I knew at least that's it. I'd never heard of NeoWise before. I'm I'm kind of not a an astronomical 
like I don't know a lot about the stars or anything. So this is a, yeah. I, I'm not super familiar with most of this stuff. I, I remember Haley's Comet when I was a right. kid coming by and that that was like a big deal. And I, I never even really saw it. It was supposed to be this amazing thing. And I remember trying multiple times to go out and see it. And we didn't have telescopes or anything, but you were supposed to be able to see it with your eye. And it's like, I don't, right. I don't see anything. <laughs> <laughs> it was disappointing. But so this is a, a comet. Tell me, what, what is this? Why is this a big deal right now, Brent? Well, you know, in contrast to Halley's Comet, which you and I might be able to see again in our lifetime, uh-huh. this one we will never be able to see again in our lifetime. Oh, uh, okay. It's on a roughly 6,800-year cycle. Oh, wow. And so they don't expect it to return for another 6,800 years. And... It was first noticed in March, and it just wasn't very bright. You know, someone with these huge power telescopes were were finding it, looking at it and whatnot. And it's already gone around the sun, and it's on its way back out to the outer reaches of our solar system. And when we're—so what's happening now is it's traveling away. It is actually getting a little bit closer to us, and— uh, June 20, or July 22, 23, that, that night, that's when it's going to be the closest to us. And it's about 63 million miles away. And <laughs> that's all. the beautiful, <laughs> I know. <laughs> and the beautiful thing about this particular comet, and I think any comet really, but this, this tail is huge. Okay. The tail is just really stretching out there. No, you can't see it the 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 immensity of the tail you can't see it with the naked eye but when it renders on your sensor it's going to be amazing it's it's just massive and um in the in the latitude photo facebook group uh, kirk kais he posted an image and he's posted in a few other facebook groups too i can't remember all the ones he's posted it in but He's got Mount Hood going right and pointing right to it, and then a few degrees above it, you've got you know the the nucleus as they call it of the comet, and that tail just going wicked going on up above it, and it's gorgeous wow. and it's just one of those things that yeah it's happening every sixty eight hundred years for this particular comet, and it happens to be extremely well visible especially to the cameras right now, and. There's a couple of tools that we can look at to help us track it and know where it's at as well. They've got it really well documented, really well tracked. Uh, because it's such a new comet, you know, apps like uh, Photopills and Planet, they don't have this listed in their database of of celestial items to track and to look at. But there is one called Stellarium. If you've got the, the app for that or if you just want to go on to their website, uh, there's that one as well. And they've got it per, I mean, it's just like hyper super reality right there, just perfection. And uh, yeah, stellarium-web.org. And it will sense where you are on Earth and it'll give you uh, like a Google 360 type view picture. And then you can scrub through the timeline on the clock in the lower right hand corner and it just shows you specifically, boom, there's where it is. That's where you can expect to see it. Right. And it's just awesome. It's, it's just as long as you have this clear sky, you should be able to uh, grab something of it. Yeah, it's cool. I, I went to Stellarium. We Brent shared that link with me before we started. And just to see like where it's at. So this is the cool thing about it to me is it's coinciding with a couple of other things. The moon is not full right now, so that's that's right. helpful. Um where is it at these right now? Is it is it waxing or waning? I don't know. You know, I, I'm not going to know exa- the exact uh, terminology on that, but it is very close to the sun. <laughs> so it's a crescent moon right now. Okay. And as we go a few more days into it, we're going to uh, have a little more separation from the comet and the and the sun as it relates to our perspective here on Earth. Uh-huh. Also, the further north you are, so if you're at a southern latitude, like you're down in Texas or something like that, you probably won't have as easy of an opportunity to see it as if you're in a more northerly latitude, because what ends up happening is it starts to kind of skirt skirt itself along the horizon. So kind of like the sun does in the middle of the, you know, the middle of the, um, the summer where it starts to scoot along the horizon rather than just dropping and setting. Well, that's what the comet is doing as well. And as we get into the 19th, so I think that's a Sunday, 
that's when we have a fairly good amount of separation from the sun, from when it sets to when the comet is going to be visible. And so it's visible just after sunset and then for a few hours certainly after sunset until about roughly an hour to two hours before sunrise. And as we go throughout time, it's going to be more and more at that nighttime and less and less at that morning time. Right. So I'm looking in photo pills right now at the moon phases and on the 20th is when we get to a new moon. So that's when it's like perfect. And this comet should still be visible then. And uh, it might make for some really fun pictures especially if you've never done this before if you've never tried it before here's something to go give it a try on and see see what happens you might try a few nights before monday on the 20th um with the moon being out it might make it so that you don't have as as good a photo as you can get on the 20th but practicing a couple of times so you're ready on monday night you know what to do you know where to look uh locating it 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 might be a fun activity to, to be able to do um, so it's a big tail, which is different than a lot of other comets. Was that the big deal with Halley's too? I can't remember. It's been a long time. Well, the thing about Halley is I think it's a fairly big tail, but it comes every 75 years right. or so. Right. And yeah, this one, you know, so for me, the size of the tail is pretty sweet. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, from the pictures I'm seeing, uh, as it relates to, you know, the people that, you know, our astronomers and they, they do this for a living, (laughs) whether or not they would count this as a big tail or not, I have no idea. Right. (laughs) But to me, when, when I have an image of Mount Hood taking up, you know, I look at an image of Mount Hood taking up the, the entire foreground of the, the frame. And then this thing stretches at least 50% of the frame overall vertical frame. To me, that's a very present, very large tail. And that's just part of the like, oh, man, I got to go get this. And then I've taken a look at other images where they're framing it up over these historic cities in Greece or some of these other, you know, like farm, uh, you know, elevators and such like that to where you're, they're framing it in these different foreground elements. And I think that's going to be the key is finding the right foreground element and getting it so you don't just have stars and this comet, but how are you going to frame it up? That's one of the things, you know, that you want to be thinking about. And where are you going to go to try and capture this? Certainly we need it to be dark. You need to have access to it and all that good stuff. But, you know, if if people are getting, you know, these historic cities, these old cities in Greece are lit up with their night lights at night and you can still see the comet, you know there's something good there. It's going to be visible uh, to you almost wherever you are, as long as it's a clear sky. That's all you need. Right. So, and I'm using this, the, the Stellarium link that we'll make sure is in the show notes. Just, it, it helps you to try to visualize where it could be, what's going to be a good time to be out at a certain location. That's why I say it might be good before the 20th, because the 20th is going to be your best opportunity to capture it with no moon causing you it, it to, to shine in the sky and, and make it so it's harder to capture everything. That's going to be your best shot at getting a really good image with this and, and taking a couple of test runs before then would be good. Uh, it looks like for me around midnight, really close, like 12 or 1140 p.m. Uh, mountain time where I'm here in, in Utah. It's going to be very near the horizon, but not so close to the horizon that any light pollution would affect it. That's kind of a, a thing I would be wanting to look for. And then it's kind of in the opposite side of the sky to where the Milky Way is going to be. So I had something super wide. I might be able to get the both of them together, but then you might lose like the actual magnificence of the comet. It might not be too, too, uh, too attractive or uh, such a a profile, high profile thing. So it looks to me like I wouldn't try to get the Milky Way involved with it as I'm looking on Stellarium, but I think I'm going to I'm going to see about like trying this out uh soon just to see what it yeah. looks like. Where is it? I have a telescope um and I can so I could check that out too and that would be kind of a fun thing to to try to see if I can get it. That sounds fun. Okay, so so we have this cool comet 6800 years, I said or 68000. 6800. 6800 years. So you <laughs> even if you don't take a picture of it, it might be fun just to go see it so you can say that you saw the comet and, and see what it's like. Yeah, that would be fun. Um, but for people who want to shoot this, let's let's talk about some tips then. What is, let's assume that someone listening has never shot Astro before, never tried oh to do goodness, any of yes. it, right? <laughs> and we'll assume that they have a uh, an interchangeable lens camera. So what 
but let's not assume that it's like uh, full frame necessarily. Like, could it, it could be crop sensor. Make it just generic advice for anyone who's got any of those kinds of cameras. They can do like, you know, manual settings and they have a, a decent lens to be able to try this with. Let's start with that. What kind of a lens would you need to have a chance at this? Well, it's, I think anything in the neighborhood, if we're on full frame, anything in the neighborhood of a wide-ish angle lens is probably going to suit you well. And, and what I mean by that is around 35 millimeters or the equivalent thereof. And if you go out towards in the neighborhood of 16 millimeters, that's where you're probably going to be wider than you need to be, uh, 14 millimeters, that kind of a thing. Uh, I am tempted, though. You mentioned the idea of the... Of the um, the Milky Way, mm -hmm. I am tempted. I have an eight millimeter circular lens. So on a full frame camera, it gives you a circular image. Yeah. And I am tempted to go ahead and point that straight up at the sky, attach it to the star tracker I have. So it will track with the, with the the stars. And so they don't show any movement. Uh, that would get the Milky Way and the Neo eyes. But of course the, the thing is going to be so small. So Okay, I got to break in here. This is just Jeff. It's like a day after I recorded with Brent. And I actually went down to shoot Neowise last night as I, you know, the day after I recorded. And we made a pretty big mistake, but I'm going to leave it here because I want it to be something where photographers can see like, it takes experience. Even if you've done something before, when you go to shoot something new that you've never shot before, I've never shot Neowise, I've never shot actually a Comet. And to kind of learn from it and be able to see how, what it took for experimentation. We gave advice to this point based on our past experience. Both Brent and I have shot astrophotography before. I've done tons of Milky Way shots. I've done lots of stars. That was all good advice for those kinds of shooting situations. If you're trying to capture the Milky Way in particular, really good advice that we were giving. What I didn't know was just how small Neowise is as, as an astrological element. And I said astronomical in, earlier in the episode, I think. And so that was the wrong term, astrological. As an element in the sky that you're trying to shoot, it's really, really tiny. And 16 to 35 as a focal length, it's not going to get it done, especially on a full frame camera. You won't be able to even see the comet, really. I mean, maybe a tiny little speck of a star that looks like it was a star trail rather than being spot stars. Uh, so you, you're going to need something more telephoto. I went out and shot. I was surprised. I had my 14 millimeter lens for my crop sensor camera, and I was surprised at just how tiny Neowise was in the sky and I ended up having to go up to 105 millimeters, which adding in the crop factor ends up being like more like 135. And anyway, you're going to need a telephoto that 70 to 200 F 2.8 would be an ideal lens for trying to capture Neowise. I'd also recommend like trying different compositions. The composition I ended up with was okay. I wasn't planning on a focal length that was that telephoto. And so my choices that night were not, not great. And I ended up with something passable. It's in the show notes. You can go see the image and see what I, I got. But uh, it would, I think some kind of change in composition would be better now that I know the focal length is going to be that telephoto. I would either try to get closer up to something big like a hill a landscape something like that so there can be prominently featured in the foreground or try to maybe get a much higher up position get up on top of a hill a mountain i was on the foothills here in harriman utah they're fairly high up and the separation between neowise and the mountains that i could shoot uh was was a little too distant too much for what I would want. And I think if I was elevated more or closer to the mountain so that they were, of course, bigger in the frame, that would have been a, a more ideal situation. So there you go. I just had to update <laughs> the podcast based on the things that I learned as I went to shoot it with my experience with actually trying to shoot Neowise. Now we'll get back to the show. Zooming in a little more, like 35 millimeters, 24 millimeters, somewhere in there, that's probably where I think I'll be starting when I try and capture this because I'm, I'm going to try and find some kind of interesting foreground that I can silhouette with it. And then it's just all about finding it in the sky. And basically, it's to the northwest sky. And it happens to be right underneath the Big Dipper. So if you can find the Big Dipper, you should be able to find Neowise. That's a good, good thing there because... That's like the only constellation I can regularly find. 
<laughs> Absolutely. I'm, that and the small dipper. I can do the small dipper too, but the big dipper, bang, it's, it's like, yeah, I know where that is. And then literally it's right underneath it. And, you know, if, if, if the big dipper were to have a leak, it would be leaking on Neowise. That's, yeah, that's, okay. that's what would be the, if it were, a, you know, a ladle that were leaking, it would be dripping onto, onto this comet. And then what you want to do is think about, you know, you asked me to say, you know, no one is, or people have, have no experience doing this. Right, right. You definitely get, you're definitely going to need yourself a nice, sturdy tripod because oh, yeah. without it, it's just not going to work out. You're not going to have any luck whatsoever because it's going to be very difficult to even find it with your naked eye. You do need the camera to be able to pick it up and to see it on that little screen, and then you can work your your composition kind of sort of you might be feeling like you're working blind because you might be taking an image and then you're like oh i don't like that composition but at least i see the uh, i I might see the 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 comet and then you shift your your framing you shift your zoom whatever it is and you get it figured out and you get it going with that so uh tripod sturdy tripod absolutely 100 percent is needed so you can lock that puppy down and you can have it nice sturdy and everything is going to hopefully be fairly uh fairly sharp for you then okay good so back to lenses real quick and the focal lengths for full frame you're saying somewhere around maybe 18 to 35 ish is that right i think that's going to be where i'm going to start yeah because yeah, I have a 16 to 35, and I might just even just put that lens right, on there right. just because it's going to be my most uh, flexible for, for this kind of shooting. And the reason I don't want to go further, at least not without my star tracker, that, and that's what complicates this immensely, um, is because with up to about a 35, I can still get a single exposure where the stars are not going to show up as moving. If I put a longer lens on there, it magnifies the movement of the Earth, and I have to have a shorter and shorter and shorter, depending on how long the lens is, I just have to have a shorter and shorter lens, uh, shutter speed just so I can capture that thing and make it you know, work out. Right. And while the tail of NeoWise is very soft and elongated and a little bit of camera movements to earth movement, that kind of a thing, isn't going to mean a lick of difference to your picture. You are definitely going to get stars in there and you don't want, generally, I would think, you don't want those stars to be showing the 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 movement, the streaks that they'll create because the earth is moving. And so if you want to do that, you're going to need to be able to keep your lens short enough so you can keep, so you can let your you can let your your shutter speed go long enough to actually render these items. Right. So um, you have, I, I love this feature in PhotoPills. We talked about that PhotoPills doesn't have NeoWise registered as an astrological thing to follow and plan around. Um, it has a whole bunch of other stuff. There's sun, moon, stars, uh, other things. But yeah, the, the NeoWise doesn't seem to be in there right now. And it'll probably be gone before they would have it. But it's... Yeah. It, it does have a calculator in there. It's called the Spot Stars Calculator. And I love this thing. There's two kinds of prevalent rules. The most common rule for figuring out your shutter speed is called the 500 rule. It's really, right. it's where you divide the 500 by your focal length. And that gives you the number of seconds that you should be able to have your shutter open before those stars start turning into star trails. And that's why this is spot stars, right? We want the stars to be spot stars, especially in this case, you have a comet. You want to be able to like illustrate the tail of that comet here. Right. And so you don't want any star trails to be happening and make the comet look weird too. I can't imagine how that would be on a, on a star trails kind of map. But um, right. <laughs> so, so for example... If you had a 35 millimeter lens on the Canon 5D Mark IV, which is a, a full frame camera, the 500 rule says you got you got about 14 seconds that you can have that shutter right. open, and still should have spot stars. Now there's a, a another rule that you can have called the NPF rule, and it does. I have found that the 500 rule tends to make the stars to start looking a little too oblong for me. And so the NPF rule, um, it takes into account the megapixels of your camera too, which it has an impact on this. So if you really want spot stars, 35 millimeters, uh, and I'm assuming F2.8, we, we haven't talked aperture yet, we'll get to that in just a second, but 
Um, the NPF rule says you only get about eight seconds instead of that 14 seconds if you're shooting the 5D Mark IV because of the resolution of the sensor. So I love this spot start calculator and photo pills that can help with all of that so that it can it can actually tell you, give you something in between. Now, are you gonna see, like if you go 10 seconds, and that, that might be what I would do is, I would look this right. up in photo pills and then I would say, well, NPF says no longer than eight. But 500 says 14, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try it at eight. I'm gonna try it at 10. I'm gonna try it. You know, I'm gonna try different things so that I have some images to choose from later when I'm on the computer editing, and I can pick the one I like the best, the one that worked out the best, and see yep. see where does it end up. And there's lots of other things you can do with like star stacking, but again with the comet, that's probably not gonna be as good a thing here to do that. And you do have to consider uh, on crop sensors, you got to consider the crop factor. So if, if I change everything else is the same, we have the 35 millimeter lens and F2.8 and I change to the 7D Mark II. Now the, the uh, 500 rule is only nine seconds instead of 14. And the MPF rule says I only have about 6.5 seconds, not even a full seven seconds on there. So that means I have much less shutter speed um, to, uh, I won't have that much exposure to be able to do with it. So it's a really cool calculator. I love that feature of photo pills. But if you don't have photo pills, the quick and dirty thing is the 500 rule. You divide the focal the 500 by the focal length, and that gives you the number of seconds. Make sure you apply the crop factor to the focal length if you're shooting a crop sensor camera. Yeah, and if you have a wider angle lens, yeah, that, of course, that changes the calculation. Absolutely. And that's where I would say, you know, in shooting the nighttime like this, in order to keep that ISO was at a reasonable level, then I want to have a longer shutter speed. And so it's just a balance of all these things. And, you know, that's where you mentioned, you know, aperture. Uh, the lens that I have is actually uh, an F4 lens. Okay, and so I'm a little bit, you know, hampered with that because right. I'm losing a full stop. Somewhere around here, I've got a 28 f1.8. I would love to find that one and shoot that one because f1.8 is letting in gobs and gobs of light. And I looked around and I just can't find it. So <laughs> hopefully I'll trip across that lens before too long and I can take it out there when I go out shooting and, and getting this comet. But yeah, the more light you can let in into your lens, absolutely 100% the better because that just helps you balance all that stuff out with your exposure to get the lowest ISO that you can get, the, the best shutter speed you can get, the most light you can bring in through your lens. It's, it's all you know, a balancing game of all those things. For sure. And I, I wanted to raise, uh, so talking about the aperture and F1.8, a common lens a lot of listeners may have, because it's like your nifty 50, you get this pretty early on, they're inexpensive. If you don't have it right now, it's too late probably to get it before this thing's probably going to be gone. But if you have a nifty 50, 50 millimeter lens at, that goes F1.8, most of them do that at least, and some go to F1.4 or 1.2, then um, just to give you an example on the crop sensor camera, if I do the EOS, uh, sorry, the 70 Mark II with a 50 mil millimeter lens at f1.8, now my 500 rule is six seconds and the MPF rule mm. is four seconds. So that's pretty tight. Like that's not a lot of time for that shutter to be open. Right. Your ISO would have to really be high, but it's still worth giving it a try. Like if that's what you've got on hand, Absolutely. Go try. Go give it a try. Take take an ISO 64,000 photo for six seconds and see what you get. It's so much fun to be able to give it a try and see see what you can create out of it. It's still going to be something that's... I, I think you could end up with some pretty usable shots even with that to be able to make it happen. Uh, much better to try and to just like give up and say, well, I just don't have what I need for this and <laughs> not give Absolutely. it a shot. Absolutely. And, and with that combo, a 7D Mark II or any crop and a 50 millimeter, you're going to be zooming in so much on this thing. This isn't a, my air quotes, normal, uh, it's not a normal setup for anything that you're going to do astro-wise. But it's going to give you such a zoom into it, you're probably not going to even get the whole tail because you just zoomed in so much. And so that's where I, I say, too, if you can find anything that's remotely interesting for a foreground that you can right, line up to right. it, you're going to have, uh, I think, a pretty great experience because you're going to have a fairly unique image with this foreground element, which 
the foreground element is sitting on the same Earth you are. It doesn't matter how long your exposure is for that foreground element. It's all about the stars behind it. So when you're zooming in, you're also decreasing the number of stars anyway. So even if you do have a little blur in those stars, a little bit of motion, you're probably still sure. going to have some pretty cool stuff coming out. It's just, you know, if you were to go to a 30-second exposure, that's where <laughs> even the comet itself is going to be walking across the frame. It's going to be starting to be like, hmm, you know, it'd be nicer to have a, something a little sharper there. So we still want to kind of pay attention to those numbers, but just because the framing is going to be so different, I think you're going to still have a great potential for having some good stuff going on. Absolutely. That's that's part of what's different about this versus the traditional thing that people think of with astrological stuff, astrophotography is Milky Way. That's the, the Holy Grail sure. is a, a Milky Way shot. And to get an, a really good Milky Way shot takes a little better equipment than this. And you got to have wider or you got to do a, a lot of... Uh, you got to do like a pano with the lens or something like that. It, it takes a lot of work. This is a, a thing where you can zoom in a little more. Like you'd said, it, the the subject is much smaller than the Milky Way. And so uh, doing a 50, that this is a good thing to give it a try on. And you'll probably be like, man, that was fun. <laughs> now I need to get an Astro lens. Um, yeah, right. Like a Rokinon uh, lens. I, I have one of those. It's a 14 millimeter manual aperture. It's super fun. I love shooting it uh, with Astro work and, and being able to, to use that. So that's my plan. I'm going to use that. I'm going to try to get some photos this week. And, uh, and cool. I'll, I'll share it in the group. In fact, I think what we should do is just say, you know, we I, there's already been a thread in the Facebook group. I saw it just before we recorded of people talking about Neowise. And Kirk uh, had his images there, too, that you already talked about. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so they're fantastic. there in the Master Photography Facebook group. And we'll, we'll let's just, you know, share images. Get out there. if you and, and let us know, like, if you had never done this before and you went and gave it a shot, share the image. Like, That'll help you. I hope it will help to motivate you to get out there and to give it a try and then see what you learn from it. And even if like Astro is not something you plan to do forever, um, it's not likely to like bring in any kind of income for, <laughs> for most people. Right. Uh, it's, it's so much fun to give it a try, capture something that you've never done before, and you learn things. You absolutely learn things when you try something else that you've never done before. And it, it, if you're a portrait photographer, uh, this can help you by giving it a try and, and stretching yourself to see what you can do and how well do you actually understand shutter, aperture, ISO to be able to figure out what to do and, and how to get the most out of your camera. This is stretching your camera too. This is, very there much. is very little light going on here. And so you really get to see like, what can, what is my camera capable of? How does this work? And, uh, and you, you learn a lot by doing something like this. So I'd love to see everyone listening going and giving this a try to see if you can capture Neowise and, uh, and figure that out. We'll have some resources in the show notes for you to figure it out. Now, the one thing we ISO, um, let, let's talk about that quickly. Uh, where, what do you think ISO wise, Brent? What, what would be a, like a rule of thumb? Probably a bare minimum that you want to be at is in the neighborhood of 3200 and allow yourself to go up higher as you need it. It just depends on the lens that you have. Since I have an F4 lens, I'm probably going to be starting at around maybe even 6400 uh -huh. because I just need to be able to have the, the sensor you know, punch that much more because I'm just not going to be letting that much light in with that F4 lens. So between... Uh, rule of thumb between uh, 32 and 6400 and you know even allow yourself to go higher if you have to but if you're going you know beyond let's say 12,000 I, I think you're look at your other settings first because uh you you can still go you know as long as you're not in that 50 millimeter lens on the crop sensor <coughs> anyway you can still go um you know, a little longer in your exposure, and that's going to be a, a better thing to do rather than uh, just bumping that ISO up so you can keep like a five-second exposure or whatever. Right. Uh, keep the five-second exposure if you need it because that's the length of lens you have, but I say maximize your use on the, on the uh, shutter speed by the length of the lens you have, and then, um, and then just go with whatever widest open you can do, and then balance that out with an app with an ISO that simply makes sense and what i mean by makes sense is you can actually see something because if it's too low let's say you have it set to maybe 800 you're most likely going to see 
uh, points of stars uh, of about half the stars uh-huh. if you leave it at like 800 ISO. But when you start bumping it up to 1600 and 3200 ISO, then that's when all those other stars come in. And I'm assuming an F28 aperture at, let's say, 20 seconds or so. Um, if you have those types of settings, when you bump that ISO up, then you're going to be able to make an adjustment or a judgment, I should say, and say, oh, am I getting those stars or am I not? Well, this is another thing, though, that says you need to zoom in on your camera. You've got that little magnifying glass button. Hit that button and zoom in on it and really make sure you got those stars as stars rather than little fuzzy bits of light because that just means you're not focused right. Right, right. And so we want to be focused. We want to... Uh, adjust that, you know, when you take your lens, put it in manual focus for sure. So the camera isn't trying to do its thing because it's not going to do its thing. And if you're, if you're live view, I know on some of the really modern cameras, Sony's, Canon's, what have you, in your live view, it'll actually show you those stars. And that's amazing. That'd be awesome to be able to see those stars in live view. On my 5D4, I have a Tough challenge seeing those stars. Mm -hmm. Now, the benefit we have, too, here, we know where most of us know what the the Big Dipper is. And so the handle of the Big Dipper, if you were to follow that curve and just have it go straight off the handle of the Big Dipper, there's going to be a very bright star out there. It's called Arcturus. And the only reason I know that is because I'm cheating and I'm looking at Stellarium's website. (laughs) I am not that (laughs) learned, shall we say, in in the whole astronomy things. Although for my science class when I was in college, I did take two classes of astronomy. That was over 20 years ago. So (laughs) we've got Arcturus here. That is, I think, I clicked on the button, I think it said it's the third brightest star in the sky, you know, minus the sun, obviously. But uh, you might be able to see that one in your live view. So if you were to frame up Arcturus and you were to say, okay, let me focus in on Arcturus, you're good to go. Uh, If you need to, you know, point it towards that, which you you should still be able to get Arcturus and Neowise in the same frame, but... uh, if you want to include that anyway, just to make sure that you have a nice, solid, bright, brilliant star to to focus in on, then go ahead and center that up and achieve your focus that way. And really cue in on that, what I just said, too, about centering it up. Because depending on your lens, with these points of light, when you're wide open, they can really diffract when you get out to the edges. And you're never going to have a solid point of light. So try whatever star is in the center judge your focus off the center and then whatever happens on the edge is the best you can get because you might have some little angel wings coming off some coma distortion and we just want to get the best we can get so whatever is you're judging your focus off of make sure it's in the center of the frame right perfect and uh so a a thing i learned a long time ago because your autofocus but when you're we're in these dark conditions you want to be in a very dark condition as dark as we can get it you want to be, you know, if, if you can get to a place where it has little light pollution, drive out for me. I'd like to drive out to the middle of the desert that's near me here in Salt Lake and see if I can I can get a photo of this. I don't know if I'll actually make it out to the desert, but um, it's it's going to be beneficial to do that. Your autofocus has a struggle. There's just not much oh, yeah. to, to use autofocus on. That's why I, the, the Rokinon lens is also manual focus. It's totally fine because that's the, the purpose of it is for astro primarily that's what this lens is good for and i got it just for that to be able to do it so it's manual aperture and manual focus and that's totally fine i just use i zoom in 10x into my uh, lcd screen and i manually focus until i get stuff to look pin sharp in the in the uh, on the lcd screen and then i know i'm good but i know another hint of something you can do is even if you've gone to a location where there's not a whole lot of uh, light pollution going on there's probably going to be still some sort of a light source near you, like a, a, some city lights in the distance somewhere. That would be a lot better because those are still going to be fairly bright to use your autofocus and focus on those lights in the distance, not something closer up. Like you can't have your buddy with a flashlight <laughs> and and then focus on them unless you have them go like a ways away from you. But Way uh, out there. Yeah. yeah. 
it has to be something off in the distance. Then you can use autofocus on that, then turn off autofocus so that it won't try to change it anymore and use that the rest of the night. But it's, I just think manual focus, trying to get it and zoom in on your LCD screen is like the safest way to go. Uh, just autofocus can really struggle in, in these kinds of dark conditions to make that happen. Absolutely. Okay. So, uh, ISO and we talked about the ISO and aperture. This is a place to experiment too. Like these calculations, this 500 rule, it's a rule of thumb. It doesn't mean like, Oh, if you go, uh, over the, whatever the, the calculation, let's say it was an eight second shutter speed that the 500 rule said you can use and you go nine seconds, that you're going to get like massive star trails. No, it's, it's just going to start to not have circular stars. They're going to start looking a little more oblong, but it still might be okay. You might be fine with how that looks, it being just a little bit oblong. So this is just total experimentation here. Take some where maybe the shutter speed is under the 500 rule. It's, it's even shorter than the 500 rule and see if you can get stuff brought, drawn out and have it look sharper and cleaner the way you want it or go over it a little bit, try different, um, uh, aspects or sorry, uh, focal lengths. If you have it, you can try some different focal lengths, whatever it is, experiment like crazy on this and, and see what you like, especially if you have a few nights leaving, leading up to the, the main event, which is, I think the 20th is going to be for a lot of us, the best opportunity we have to capture this experimenting some nights before taking the images on the computer and taking a look at them and see what you like and what you didn't. That'll really help you learn how to, to make sure you're ready for the 20th and get out there to be able to get the best possible image that you can create with your camera and, and equipment that you have. One other suggestion I wanted to make was as your shutter is open for a long period of time and that sensor is on for a long period of time, uh, most of our cameras tend to heat up the sensors and it may not feel like it, like you won't put your hand on the back most likely and like, Ooh, that's warm. You might, <laughs> but, but they, they do heat up as the sensors are on, they heat up. And as they heat up, the ISO performance goes down. They are not as good on, on making the ISO uh, higher ISOs, uh, as noise free as possible. The heat is the enemy to that. So, uh, it's helpful first off that you're like at nighttime. So it's summer here in the Northern U S and, uh, and it can get pretty warm in some areas. So it's, it's nice to have the temperatures, just the ambient temperature, a little cooler to help out with that. But it's also helpful to like, just turn the camera off for a few minutes, let it try to cool down and dissipate that heat in between shots. So, cause if you take a whole bunch of shots in a row at 15 20 seconds it's it, it's going to be noticeable how much more noise shows up because that sensor is heating up so it's another tip i learned a long time ago was take a few take a couple of shots and then just turn it off for a few minutes and then turn it back on and and take a few more shots and experiment around but give it a little bit of a break to cool down in between will will help with the iso performance yeah, that's a good tip. And and um, even if I, w- I might say it might be worth it if you have a, a fold-out screen, that might be something that if it were tucked up against the back of the camera, maybe that's going to hold it in a little few more degrees right, of heat. Right, right, And maybe by just opening that and, fl- and you know whipping it out, it's going to create a little extra opportunity for some ventilation to right, happen. Right, And that, that's a good, yeah, definitely a good idea because we don't want so much noise that we look at it and we're like, is that noise or is that a star? <laughs> that's that's the challenge we have with an, with an image like this, especially when you bump it up to 6,400. You know, if you're on uh, like an original 7D, let's say, or a camera that's in that, you know, that, that age range, the noise performance is going to be fairly quote-unquote bad right. compared to a camera of today um 7d mark ii or anything any others that are more a little bit more modern you're just going to not have that that same performance so uh, on the on the controlling that that digital noise i don't want you to feel like you can't you still shouldn't go out and do it right because the experience and the learning that you're going to have is still going to be really valuable for you because the next time the comet comes a comet comes around you'll be ready to go but this is something where you might still find you've got 
some noise to fight with and keeping that ISO as low as possible is going to help do that. Keeping it as cool as possible is going to do that. So definitely good practices there. And even practicing processing an image that has a bunch of noise, you know, that's a good skill to try. And then when you have like a tiny bit of noise in an image, you kind of know better how to use your tools to deal with noise. And maybe you'll be able to do a better job of dealing with a a noise that has a little bit of image because you've dealt with one that had a ton of a ton of noise in that's it. right right that's right if you can get something usable out of that you know you can make a, a a slightly noisy photo perfectly acceptable and make it pretty good so yeah all of those things are are really good tips uh, to be able to do this so okay well let's see anything else brent you can think of any other tips for someone who maybe has never tried this before i'm trying to think if there's any other things i can think of we talked about so, focus yeah go ahead yeah, so you know we we've talked about you know the 500 rule and, and the importance of shutter speed and the like. Uh, this is where for me, and I just want to emphasize this again because I'm so my normal line of shooting. I'm so anti what I'm going to say okay, here, all right? And and that is let your ISO be the thing that you fluctuate. Uh-huh. You want as much light into that lens, so your choice is as wide open as possible. If you start shutting the lens down, yeah, you might start to sharpen up the results a little bit, but you're also going to keep a lot of light out. So just wide open. And then you got that 500 rule. Depends if you like the, if you're acceptable with a little bit of oblongs or if you want pin sharp, go 500 minus a few seconds or so. Those are your steadfast. You can't budge those. Those are, you know, those are effectively fixed as far as your decisions are. But if you're an ISO snob like I usually am, then you might just lose out on the shot. So let yourself go up to whatever ISO you need to have and, again, experiment. And, again, the only reason I really emphasize it is because I need this advice myself because I just love my 100 ISO and, you know, you know, You'll have to, you know, separate me from my left arm <laughs> if you want to force me to go anywhere higher or something like that. It's not obviously that bad, but I, I do like my lower ISOs because I tend to have cleaner images that way. Right. But you have a choice: are you going to get the image or not? Right. And let's go ahead and go ahead and get that image by bumping up that ISO and making it happen. Um, I guess the only other thing I might think about is just experimenting with the overall framing that you have too. If you've got a zoom lens, go ahead and zoom it. Um, But you're going to need to refocus every time you zoom. So just to verify that you don't have focus breathing happening when you zoom it, you know, we have focus breathing when we focus, it can change the, the, the calculated focal length of a lens, but we have the reverse of that too, where when you zoom the lens, you're not guaranteed to leave that item, that element in focus that you're focused on. You might say, but I'm focused on infinity. Double check it anyway, because it's going to likely change where that lens has to be exactly positioned in order to get it tack sharp. Right. Yep. I love it. That's a a great, great idea. Um, if you're interested in a whole bunch more information, because we just barely scratched the surface, we, we were assuming people that have nothing. There's you. You mentioned a Star Trek. Brent, which which Star Trekker do you have? By the way, do you remember? I have um, the. <laughs> No, I can look it up in like two seconds though, because that was probably going to be my doodad. Uh-huh. Um, I just bought it off B and H, and it is the Skywatcher Star Adventure Pro Pack is what it is, and it costs about four hundred dollars. And you would attach your camera to this device if you want to be able to get longer exposures and still track the stars. So if you have any foreground elements, this is going to cause the camera to move in relation to those foreground elements. This would be if you're only getting the stars or if you want to do a composite image in Photoshop later. And But you're able to attach the camera to it. You align it with the North Pole, uh, the, the North Star. You get it aligned. You attach the camera to it, and then it will track it, and you can have multiple minutes on a single exposure while tracking those stars and getting low ISO uh, images is super high quality, but you're also super sharp because you're following according to the movement of the earth. Right. Yeah. I, I it's on my wish list. It's down a bit. I have other things that are, I have higher priority for my camera gear than getting a star tracker, but I really want to have one so that I can, I can try that out at some point. I've never used one. 
I think they're um, they're definitely a step up in, in not only expense but understanding how to use them. It, it takes some know how to to know how to get them going. So um, that's a it's a step up. And if you're interested in stuff more like that or a lot of other tips on how to be able to do astrophotography, I want to point you to another resource of a friend of mine, Aaron King. He has uh, he used to be, do the Photog Adventures podcast. I think a lot of listeners are familiar with that. Aaron's been on the show before. I've been on his show a couple of times. And uh, so he's he's had a free podcast called Photog Adventures and mostly focused on Milky Way, even though they had Photog Adventures as the name of it. He is in the midst of like a rebrand. He's going to make it more clear that really what they're doing is Milky Way. So he actually has another thing called the Milky Way Photographers Guild. So that's MilkyWayPhotographersGuild.com. And uh, it's there is like, a, I think it's a $1 or $5 monthly fee to access the content that he's creating. But if you want to get into this, like if you go try this, you're like, wow, this was so much fun. I want to do better. It's a really good resource to be able to check out as a way to, to learn. There's plenty of YouTube videos too that are out there. And I, I know Aaron's got a few on, on YouTube as well that, that go through it. I, I think they even built a star tracker. Like they got it out of the box oh, cool. and put it together and talk about how to uh, use it because it, it's a little intimidating when you when you yeah. take one of those star trackers out of the box. Like, what is this thing? Uh, so and all these pieces, yeah. and it's just like, oh yeah, it, it can be rough. <laughs> so anyway, there, there's some resources that, that you can go and check out and, and see if that can help you to get going. Um, I wish if we'd have thought ahead a little bit more, we just talked about like today as far as we're recording, what should we talk about? I wish that I thought ahead, I would have invited Aaron to come on the show so that he could contribute. Oh, that'd and, have been amazing. And, and talk about it. But, uh, we'll, we'll see if we can figure out the next, next astrological event and maybe have him come on to, to talk through that. But I'd love to see everyone in the Facebook group. I'd love to see the images that you create. And even if it's not a stellar, like don't be intimidated just because someone else got a better shot than you. It's really good to share. It's really good to talk about it. Maybe you can even say like, hey, here's what I tried. I learned this about it this time. And sharing Absolutely. that with everybody, we all can learn together. That's that's the whole mantra of the show, right? We're on this path together towards mastering our photography and everybody sharing and contributing to that in a way where it's a safe environment like we're not going to say wow that stinks that picture's <laughs> that's that's not how this goes uh it, it's really good to be able to get together and, and improve everyone at the same time it's it's i love it i love being able to have that so we'll when i post the uh, show notes and the announcement of this episode in the facebook group love to have the comments to that show um, with your images, whatever you produce over the next, I don't know, several days. I, I'm not sure when Neowise goes away exactly, but uh, the next week or so probably, right? Well, I think it'll be a little while longer oh, yet because the the, the, the 22nd, 23rd, the night of 22nd into the morning of the 23rd, that's when it's closest okay. to the Earth. Okay. And then it's just going to start moving away. And as it moves further away from the sun, certainly there's less solar wind that's causing it to flare out okay. like it's doing. Um, so it's going to start to fade after a little while here. Uh, whether or not we have a week, we have a month, boy, it, well, we just but, don't know because there's been other predictions out there saying, you know, it might break up. Right. And uh, Kirk had uh, gotten to me yesterday, I think it was, on a message saying, someone that he knows that went out to shoot it, they think that the nucleus is starting to crack. Oh, and wow. so they, we have like two major points of the tail now instead of just one. And that suggests that it's falling apart. And so if it's disintegrating, you know, it might just disintegrate in a big, huge, you know, crash or whatever, or it might just go out quietly. We don't know. And <laughs> it's just good to, you know, Get get it planned at, at least by the twentieth, like you were saying, when we have a new moon. But even if you have time with the, immediately when this right. is available, and you're hearing this, you know, if you've got time tonight, you know, get out there because you just don't know how long it'll last. Right. Yep. It, it, the moon is the big thing. The you know, after a week, the moon's going to be in a phase where it's going to start making it harder to capture details because it's just too bright. And that has a massive impact impact on it. So yeah. So it you, certainly does. Planning around the mood phase is important. And then you hope for, and at least here in Utah right now, I don't I'm not worried at all. We we are in a, a dry spell and I'm not worried about clouds, but that can be another hmm. challenge. You can have clouds show up and you're like, well, that's it. We're done. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. 
All right. Very good. Thanks so much for uh, for joining me, Brent. It was super fun to yeah. talk about it. I, I'm excited to see what the listeners come up with. Um, Absolutely. Let's go to the doodads of the week. Um, I'm going to tell you that it's it's very, I'd say it's more tangentially related to photography because this is more in the videography space. But this is the Atomos Ninja V Ninja 5, I think I guess it's the 5, not the V. And um, it's a device that's kind of expensive. It's $600, and you can get an entire camera for $600 so, or, or some lenses for that much. So it's it's kind of an expensive device. I, t- I shy away from things like this usually, uh, but I'm, I was finally convinced after seeing so many people using them to help them with their video work and screen recording. So that's one of the things I wanted to do. I I wanna be able to record my screen, especially with some of the hardware testing I do without running software recorders because they take a bunch of CPU and memory away from your computer to use it to record the screen. And I've tried some other solutions. I tried NDI, which was okay. It wasn't what I was hoping for. And uh, this is perfect. This is a, a really nice way to be able to record my screen and uh, it, it with with like not in software so it doesn't impact the computer. Plus, it connects to your camera. You can use like HDMI out on the camera, which almost all of them have, so that you can record video that way instead of recording it internally. And so you can record for longer usually. It, it's just a really good device if you do video then it's a it's a very solid offering there's other brands of recorders for sure uh video recorders like this but uh the atomos ninja is one that is actually for 600 dollars. it's still very reasonably priced compared to some of the other monitors that you video monitors that you can get um for, for that do the same thing so i really like it it's been fun to have and i'm learning how to use it so that i can i'm, I'm working towards building a course which i know you you're doing as well brent but i'm working on a lightroom course that uh, cool. where i'm going to use that to help with it what is your nice. doodad of the week so I d- decided I'll just go ahead and do that Star Tracker. So we have a link there to the B&H page on the Star Tracker. But another thing I want to plug really quick is uh, back in the beginning of May of this year, uh, we have two episodes in the Latitude Photography Podcast about beginning Astro. So we have all the details, you know, a little bit more uh, spread out, if as it were, to looking at standard Astro work. And so just applying what we've said here to the comet would just maybe be able to be just that one little extra piece of the puzzle that might work out for you. So we do have that also on the Latitude Photo Podcast. And it was May 10 and May something or other for those two episodes. Gotcha. Excellent. I love it. So the links to those things will be in the show notes. Yeah, the Star Adventure, I'm pretty sure, is the one. There's like two main brands. I don't remember what the other one is now. But that's I, I was thinking the Star Adventure was the one I wanted to get someday. When, when I get to that level of the list, <laughs> we'll see. Absolutely. All right, everyone, the masterphotographypodcast.com is the place for the show notes where you'll find all the goodies that we talked about here. And uh, the Instagram for the account is masterphotographypodcast. So if Facebook isn't your thing and you'd like to share your images with us, tag us in it, masterphotographypodcast, so we can see your work there. That'd be really fun. Maybe I'll. I'll try to like follow uh, people who tag us in there with Astro shots and maybe I'll cross post them to the Facebook group just so that they can be shared there too, for people who don't like to use Facebook. Anyway, we'll, we'll see. I don't know. That takes time too. So <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, my work is at jsharmanphotos.com. And then my other podcast is phototacopodcast.com. I haven't done the July episode yet, but I'm going to record it here shortly. And I'm going to have the topic is going to be what I think Apple Silicon means for photographers. Uh, if you don't know that cool. Apple has uh, is changing, they're getting out of the Intel world. They're going to their own processors for their computers. And I'm going to tell you what I think that means to photographers. And so if you want to see what that what my opinion is about what that means to us, then you're going to want to check out the July episode that will be coming shortly after you listen to this episode uh, facebook and twitter and instagram you can catch me on all of those in the show notes brent where can people find you 
They can find me at my website, brentbergherm.com, and of course, latitudephotographypodcast.com. And there's one thing I've got going on on the website, and that is I've got my print course there, front and center, well, left, on the uh, homepage. And anyone who purchases that course between now and the end of the month, so July 31, you're going to get a free year's worth of access to the new service I'm rolling out, which is going to roll out in August, and that is Latitude Photography School. So that's just going to be uh, where we've got a whole bunch of stuff going on with uh, designing creativity in photography. Beginners, I'll have a lesson there as well for beginning in photography and all sorts of good stuff going on with that. So and it'll just grow from there. So uh, if you're interested, you know, in finding out how to print, you know, we cover so many details in that print course. Uh, and I also tell you the why and as it relates to processing and how it comes through in the print. So it's very, uh, very good to uh, you know, if you're wanting to learn how to print, that's a good way to do it. And um, you get, you know, the, the additional bonus of a free year's worth of, of the access to everything else I've got going on uh, over there at the site. So take a look, uh, Brent Bergherm, just my name, .com, or you can type in latitudephotographyschool.com and that'll take you to one of the pages in the, on the website anyway. Very good. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. I sure hope that you're going to get out there and, and try to shoot Neowise, get some Im- create some images uh, of that and uh, take opportunity, take advantage of that yeah. 6,800 year opportunity. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and see if you can get it. And uh, looking forward to seeing what you, what you all create. You're amazing photographers. I'm, I'm continuously amazed by the level of quality that we see in the images. And I love to see it when people post stuff saying like, this was my first try. It's, it's great. Yeah. So please, please feel comfortable in sharing it. If it's your first try and it's not something that you're like really impressed or you're like, that doesn't compare to the, the other guy that just posted, that doesn't matter. Post what you sh- you've got, share it, and let's, let's uh, learn in all of this together. So much fun. All right. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you again in another seven days. Bye.